For those of you who weren't here last week, that's a new uh, thing for you, and you're like, ew, I mean, it's been the response the whole time. Um, but what we've been intending is to really kind of lay out that, that sense of, hey, this is not something that we, we're comfortable with talking about, and we understand that. And so again, if you've got children in the room, uh, we ask that they wouldn't be here. It's a PG-13 level. They go to their own appropriate age um, trainings, and that's because um, at, during the uh, uh, right now, children's ministry isn't even talking about this, and so youth has its own conversations later. So um, we, if you're 13 and up, cool. If your parents think you're, you're good for this, then we're going to be uh, good for it as well. But for me, this conversation began last week, and if you weren't here, some of it's like, why are we having this conversation? What are we talking about this for? And I want to advise you to go back and take a look at that podcast and look at, those, uh, look at that video and, and go through the different statistics and the various things that are going on as our cultural problem with the question of pornography. What we want to be doing is entering into a conversation scripturally about what it is and what we should be doing. So last week we looked at the, um, we looked back at the human sex drive, what we call the sex drive, how God intended it to shape and form the intimate bond of a family, a, a um, husband and a wife coming together to form the family. And what happens is when that drive is expressed out beyond what God intended, it creates all kinds of problems. One of those problems is, in, is pornography. And here's the thing, that problem has come through lust. And lust is one of those sins that continues to spread and actually spreads like an infection, basically. It goes from person to person. It is evoked in one another. And one of the problems is that it's now being uh, spread into our children. In fact, if you talk, I just went to the men's retreat, and if you talk to most men and they're willing to admit that they struggle with something like this or they've, they've run into it and it's something that shows up in their life once in a while, all of them are willing to at least admit they didn't go seeking this out. It went and found them. It was something that occurred in their life. It was something that happened to them. In fact, I know of an eight-year-old who found himself at, a, at a, his cousin's house, hanging out there, doing a normal cousin thing, uh, spending the night and, and doing stuff with, the, with their cousin. He, he, the cousin brought out a box from his dad. And in that box was a whole bunch of magazines with a whole bunch of pictures an eight-year-old shouldn't be looking at. And that night they looked through those things and then found out later there, had, there was this thing called cable, brand new, brand just out, punch button level, and you just punched a button and there was a whole channel that was of stuff that no eight-year-old need to be seeing. And that, and that began to infuse a problem into their life that they fought for a, for a very long time. At the same time, I was at Chick-fil-A prepping for this message. And this lady walks up to me and she's like, hey, what's all these books you got here? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm prepping for a message. And she's like, oh, what are you preaching about? <laughs> yeah, funny thing. Uh, I forgot. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm like, can you plug all the kids' ears in this room? We're at Chick-fil-A. I can't talk about this. But I kind of expressed what we were talking about. And she was like, that's amazing. I'm so glad a church is willing to talk about that. And then the reason why was then she began to tell me her story of how she had been introduced to this stuff at the age of eight as a way of progressively leading her into abuse. And it was a, it was a tool used by her abuser. It was a tool to exploit her. And some of you today, I'm just going to caution you, that, that may be a trigger for you. And I want to keep warning, I just say, this, this is not intended to cause anybody to stumble or to struggle. This is, is to call us to victory and to call us to freedom. But this has indeed found children over and over and over again. We saw last week that it's um, that the, the Center on Exploitation, it's the National Center that focuses on this issue, has said that the statistic is at 90%, if not rising, of boys um, before the age of 18 
18 having been exposed to pornography for girls, it's at 60% and rising. In fact, at this point, many have said it's probably across the board nearly 100% in many cases for a certain particular generation. We don't have to have it that way. It doesn't need to stay that way. But the Center on Exploitation just is kind of pointing these things out. And one of the things that they pointed out is that 34% of children are exposed before the age of 10. That's before their minds have even entered into the concept of puberty, before things have really begun, and it, it infuses and turns on what, the, what we understand as the sex drive at an age that it's not intended to. And once it's on, it never turns off. And that's just one of the human realities. And so as we look at this, we begin to say, we really indeed need to protect our children. We really indeed need to engage, especially when we know of all the demographics, of all the people who are using pornography on a regular basis, 12 to 17-year-olds are the number one demographic. The number one. We call it an adult industry. It's not. It's a lie. And it's because of the phone. It's because of the ubiquity of it being in our pockets. Computers that honestly were stronger than the ones that are sitting in Caltech in the 1950s reside on your, on your wristwatch. And the power of the technology that we have is something that we as parents need to be aware of because in all of this, we have a very big struggle. Over here on the right, you see all these little, all, all these little boy cutouts and on the left, all these little girl cutouts. The, the ones on the right and the left, these are actually folk, they're statistics. Five out of 10 boys and three out of 10 girls are using pornography weekly from the ages of 14 up. That's how much it's entered into our culture and become kind of a common thing. I don't, and you'll begin to understand why. And it's because one reason is because pornographers are embedding things. They'll, they'll misspell, they'll, they'll buy up sites that misspell famous, like uh, famous uh, Disney characters and things like that, intending to catch kids, intending to expose them early. They're like the, the worst tobacco lobby on the planet kind of thing, who are trying to get you hooked early so they can have a permanent, a permanent um, person who's purchasing. And the issue isn't so much that it's the kid's fault, it's that it's looking for them. In fact, the other problem really I would say is, is not so much anybody but the ignorance's fault. Parental ignorance is one of the major causes for this problem. And I want to just say why I think parental ignorance is a major cause. And it's because if you're a parent right now, you grew up some point between, um, in, if you're a parent of young kids, you grew up somewhere in between the years of the 1990s all the way up to the 2000, in maybe 2010 era. The advent of the iPhone comes out in that 2010 era and it moves on from there. But in this zone, in the 90s up to the 2010s, there was a thing called the internet that exploded upon the world, Right? And filters and accountability software were nowhere to be seen. And I don't know a man, and I don't know very many people who weren't exposed or brought to a situation in which they encountered pornography in that time period. In fact, many people grew up believing it was just common. It was just something that happens, and these are the parents of a new generation. And so there's some sense of ignorance in the sense of that it's not willful, it's just this is how life is. There's other sense that we didn't realize that technology has moved where we can. We are at the, we are, this is the generation we can protect. This is the generation we've got to figure it out. We have the technology, we have the availability and the ability to protect our children, and we should. Amen? And so this is where we're going to go because I want to kind of show you why parental ignorance is, is so easily exploited. You see, wherever you get groups of children, you'll find a predator. 
Predators like groups of children. They look for them. And the fastest route that they find groups of children now is in technology. See, we as parents, we're, we're good at technology, but our children are native to technology. They grew up with it. They understand it. If a new app comes out and, you, and your child's engaged in it, they know instantly, oh, that app's there. And if it has chat ability, which enables them to have a communication outside of the game itself, what occurs is that they meet people that we don't know as parents who talk to your kids. Predators love these games. And as I was talking to one of our police officers in our, uh, in, our, in our church who works on exploitation and works in this category as a task force, he tells us what they do is they find the latest, hottest games, they connect in, they act like the opposite sex, whoever they're talking to, and they start telling them, oh, you're so good at this game, oh, wow, I want to talk to you, and they get them alone in a, in a separate chat stream, and they begin to encourage them and, love, and, and talk about who they are, and then they eventually send them an explicit picture about saying, hey, this is me, and I think you're cute, and all this stuff, send me one back. And if that child replies, what they do is they've got them. At that point, once that second photo, which has been willingly sent, is going, they say, I want something more, I want something worse. And they go, no way, no way. And they say, well, if you don't, I know all your friends on Instagram. I know all your friends on Facebook, etc. I'm going to send this photo to all of them and show you what kind of person you are. And kids get caught by these people and drug deeper and deeper and deeper. And we as parents need to be aware of how exploitation works and how people are drugged then into the sex slave trade and other things like that from these very innocent beginnings, whether it's the Xbox, whether it's the PlayStation, whether it's the PC, or whether it's the device in our pockets, it's these new things that as parents, if we are not aware of what our children are facing, we are going to put them in harm's way unwilling, unwittingly and unwillingly. We don't want to put our children in harm's way. There's, that's not the goal. Our goal is to see our children free. And that's what I really want to talk about, kind of putting a close on the problem. I really think that we can enter into a solution as parents and as loved ones of children, whether you're the parent, the grandparent, the aunt, the uncle, or just the, name, the, the friend of, of, because you love your loved one's children. Whatever you find you're at, I want to, I want to call us to a greater calling. And I want to use kind of two stories, and they're not biblical stories, but they're pictures. And I want to use these two pictures for a minute to take our biblical principles and, and, and hook them onto. And they're two stories that we all remember, or should, maybe you don't, maybe you never heard of them, but some of us have. How many of you read, had to read, because nobody reads it on purpose, how many of you, how many of you had to read The Odyssey um, in high school or, or in college, okay? How many of you like it? Awesome. Some of you just love epic poetry written in the Greek time period, and that's, um, that's cool. Odysseus is riding around uh, after having, having been at the Battle of Troy, and he's trying to get home, and he's ticked off the gods, and the gods are messing around with him all the way. Epic poetry, epic events. And one of the scenes is he's sailing by a particular island. On this island live the sirens, and the sirens sing a song. And as they sing the song, it's intended to produce lust in the mind of the person to drag them into the island. And when they come on the island, they then kill them. And Odysseus is sailing by this island. As he's coming along, he realizes where they're getting close to. And he says, men, quickly tie me to the mast. And if I start screaming for you to untie me, tie me tighter. In the meantime, they plugged all their ears with wax. And then as they sailed by, the sailors couldn't hear anything, but Odysseus was screaming with madness, wanting to go to the island, and they just kept tying him tighter and tighter and tighter. Another ancient um, mythological man 
who went through a similar adventure. His name was Jason. We know him as Jason and the Argonauts. And he was after the Golden Fleece. As he was sailing by the same island, the sirens were singing, and suddenly the madness began to take the entire crew. And as they began to get closer and closer, one man had the wits about him to grab his lyre and begin to sing this beautiful song. As the song rose into the air, it overcame the siren song, and the men started singing with it as well. And soon they overcame the problem and sailed away from the island to safety. And I want to use these two pictures of that island which is so representative of what happens in the allurement of pornography and the allurement of what is out there and teach us a, a simple thought that we as parents, we need to be those who help guide these ships. We need to be the ones who walk through the dangerous waters with our children unto a faithful calling. And I, so I want to start with this concept that we are the ones that we need to give our children the best start, the best start on the fight against pornography. You see, the situation today is such that it's not when, it's not if they see pornography, it's a matter of when. We just want to move when much further away from adolescence. We want to move when farther away from when they are little. And so what we need to do is give them the best chance, the best start, the best ability to, to begin to defend and fight. And I believe Jesus gives us a great sense of how and why we should do this in Matthew chapter 18. So grab your Bible and open up to Matthew 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And I kind of want to pull these out. There, Jesus is uh, referencing a very interesting um, situation, and he's referencing pride. But I want to pull this and show you some information. I believe he's talking about when he gets into sin and temptation. So Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse nine, 1 through 9, and it starts this way. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is a common fight amongst the disciples. Who's going to be the coolest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to have the greatest honor and sit in his right hand or his left hand? And Jesus just goes, okay, let me explain something to you. And calling a child to him, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself, unlike your pride and your fin fighting, if you're willing to humble yourself like this child is the greatest in the king or like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow, that's pretty intense for Jesus, don't you think? I mean, Jesus is like, I love you, I heal you, I heal you. You get to be drowned in the ocean. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? Jesus is so intense, so serious about temptation. He says, see this little child? I want you to be like these children. I want you to be innocent like these children. I want you to be humble like these children. I want you to be dependent upon your father like a child. This is, we're not to be childish. We're supposed to be childlike. And as a childlike person, how dare any of us tempt a child? Check this out. Hey, you're cute. How many different temptations have our corporations on Super Bowl Sunday? Or how many temptations have our world tried to throw at us? And yet Jesus says it would be better for us to be drowned in the ocean with a huge tonned millstone around our necks. I mean, Jesus is pretty serious here. That's some intense language. In fact, he'll go on, woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
Woe is is like, you're you're cursed. Curse yourself. This is a horrible situation. It's necessary that temptations come, and he means that because we need to grow strong and be able to stand with God. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. He's already said this once. He's talking about cutting off a hand, cutting out an eye before, and he said it after he just told everybody, hey, look, when you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery in her heart. And if you find that, if your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out and fling it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off and throw it away. In other words, Jesus is like saying, do extreme things against sin. Do extreme things to fight temptation. Do extreme things to fight sin. You, you guys, we need to have the aggressive sense. This is not something we as parents just go back, yeah, one day we'll deal with that. No, this is, he's saying, no, you need to be intentional. He's using hyperbole. He is saying you would rather limp in this world, limp in this culture, than to, have a, than to end up in hell whole. And you know what? That's hard for us because that may mean in some cases we don't engage in cultural activities we enjoy or things that you and I would rather, we don't want to be missing out on. And he's saying, you know, I'd rather you do intentional cutting out things so that you could be holy and live in eternity healthy and powerfully and what I got and what I intend for you so you can be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But in this case, you've got to do serious things. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to think about this idea of, of, of plucking out, of keeping temptation away from our children as, a way, as, as guardrails. I want to think of them as a, as a way of protection. We need to be putting guardrails down for our children. Now, some of your children have already got, or they're older. Maybe I'm talking about your grandchildren. Some of them have already been exposed to this and they've str- they're struggling. That's going to happen. We'll talk next week about how we fight forward from that. But what I want to really point out is right now, how do we protect those children who still have this chance? You start with guardrails. Plucking out eyes, cutting out hands, do something serious. That may mean that you look different in this culture. For example, when I talked to this particular, when I interviewed this particular individual who was part of that, um, that team um, who he, he works on child predators and stuff like that and tries to get them arrested and is on that task force, he, I said, what do I need to tell the parents? He says, tell them by no means should technology and children ever be private. Never allow your child and a technological device to be alone together. He says that is the problem. You see, no person engages in sexting and these kind of things downstairs where everybody's hanging out. They do it alone in their bedroom where nobody's seeing it. And his point was you just don't give them the opportunity. When somebody comes to their house, you collect their stuff and you set them aside. You say, maybe you say, we don't do that here. If you're one of those families that said, that's our line, just we don't do technology in the house. Praise God. You're limping in this world. You look different. And I think you're doing what is right with you, with the Lord. Some of you may be like, look, we don't pan, hand out our Wi-Fi password. If you've got a device, you only do it in the public grounds. There is no taking this upstairs. There's all kinds of rules. Even me and my family, we're still trying to work this out. But really, you need to have these guardrails, especially for younger and younger children. As they get older, you start instructing them how to use this technology. You start giving them help, but you keep accountable and you keep them engaged. And so that means on your devices and on your, on your various machinery, you should have some kind of accountability software, something showing you what they're looking at, what they're downloading, what apps they have, and all these different things. Because guess what? Kids are native to this world. We grew up and inherited it. They don't know any different. iPhones have always existed. You don't just 
hang up on somebody, you hang up on somebody. They know the latest apps. One of the problems with many of us as parents and grandparents is when it comes to the technology, you're sitting there going, poke, poke, poke. Can you fix that for me, son? Yeah, Dad. They've got passwords you don't know about. You need to be in control of the technology if you're going to help guide your children, if you're going to empower them to manage and go through this. In other words, we need to help stop up their ears and in some cases lash them to the ship. Because we want to protect them. We want to guide them. We want to enable them. Now in time, we're going to give them strength and release them and empower them and move them forward. But you know what? We need, in some cases, to limp with safety on our internets, with shutdown protocols, without giving out passwords, with making sure there's all, it's always public. All of these pieces are only going to give you a leg up. Though you may look weird to this world, you are limping on purpose because we have a greater purpose in a minute. I'll show you that. And I just want to start there. The second, though, is that you should be the one who guides them to the subject. Hey, Odysseus and Jason didn't have to go near it if they had had a good guide. So he goes, don't go that way. We're going that way to the open water. Why? Because that's the island of the sirens. We're not going that way. Now, obviously, that's not how the mythology works. But in our case, we have the option not to have our children sail near this stuff if we can do our best to do so. It will come looking for them, but let's do what we can to guide them rightly. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so it's our job as the adults to train children, to raise them up, to give them training, strength, ability to navigate appropriately. That's why after a while, you got to lift the guardrails and you got to enable them to make their journey forward as adults, making good choices. We train them. And this is the second stage. And in this training of our children, in this training of, we're giving them the ability to make wise decisions when they're old enough to make those decisions. We don't want them to be trying to make those decisions too early. And if we guide them in that direction, you're going to see that they are ready to go. Um, one of the best ways to do this is be the first to introduce these concepts of sex and pornography. Be the first one in. And then they'll end up coming to you. You see, when you're the first to introduce the conversation, when you're the first to begin these conversations, you become the expert. And you should be the expert. You're their parents. You know how they got into this world. They don't. You understand the realities of what is going on in that dynamic, and you have a lot to say when the time is right. But we need to, we need to be the first in. In, my fam in our family, we made a conscious decision to begin talking about sex and to begin talking about um, these things at an early age. I think we introduced my daughter to the conversation at six. We talked to my son around six and seven and eight. You're like, wow. Now, that may not be old enough, that may not be young enough with our culture, but when we did it at age-appropriate conversations, you see, because me and my wife, we're under the consideration that a six-year-old living on a farm walks outside and goes, during the spring, and looks over and goes, Daddy, what are the cows doing? It's very common if you live in an agrarian society to understand what this is at a very young age. And you explain it at a young age. You don't have to get detailed and specific. That's not important. But what you do is you start with a general conversation. So they go, oh, you know what you're talking about. Okay, and then by the time they get a little bit older, you start really talking about some of the details. As we've gotten into those details with my kids, here's, the, here's what the effect is. When they were about 8 to 10, when we start talking about a little bit more of the details, they go, ew. 
because it's gross. You know what? I'd rather them think it's gross when they're first introduced to it than to go, hmm, that's really interesting. See, when it's still gross, you have the opportunity to say it's not gross. It's beautiful in its right place. It's dangerous. Just like I don't let you play with a knife. Just like I don't let you use the stove on your own. This is something that when you learn the right use for it in this right context is powerful and good and beautiful. Right now, yeah, it's gross. But you need to know about it. When they're older, you begin those conversations because guess what? They start coming to you and talking to you. Funniest thing happened at the beginning of this series, and my daughter's in the room, so she, she's going to have to forgive me for this, but she walks up to, to my, I'm sitting there at my desk with the computer on, and I'm typing, and we've got our mailer and stuff. She's like, Dad, what's pornography? And I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, she doesn't know what this is. And I turned to her, I just basically, babe, it's uh, when people take photos of naked people or people having sex, and they publish it so other people can look at it. And she's like, that's disgusting. I could watch her heartbreak because she understood the value was being diminished and things were being broken because of these conversations. And then my son, Nate, walks in the door and I'm just like, Nate, do you know what pornography is? He's like, no. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. And then you go, you know those pictures I warned you about earlier and why we have all our filters and all our stuff, on, all those locks down? He's like, yeah. I was like, that's what that is. Oh, yeah, that stuff's everywhere. I'm like, oh, no, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we we're walking through Target and I had to cover my brother's eyes because the stuff was in the, over there in that weird section with the women's section. He's talking about like the, long, the intimate section as you're walking through. <laughs> how aware they get and how obvious it is. And I've asked him, you help me. We're going to help your brothers. I got three boys. This is a serious issue. You help me. And I want to be the first in because when I was eight years old, my cousin was the first in for me. See, that eight-year-old was me. And it was my friends then who were second. And my parents came in dead last. And they didn't offer me anything that I didn't already had found out from friends. If we're not the first in, we're not the ones who begin it. I think we should be the first in. We should be the ones guiding the conversation. In fact, the, that Center for Exploitation says adult internet pornography is the most common form of teen sex education in the United States, which makes sense. You know why it makes sense? Because you're sitting there going, what year did Columbus come? I don't know. I'll Google it. What's sex? I don't know. I'll Google it. Bad idea. But that's how you get answers in this culture. So it's no wonder when they wonder, they receive the, the responses that they get. Be the first in and let the Bible guide your conversation. In fact, there, there's a book out there that can help you do this. It's by Jim Burns. It's talking about how to teach your kids about healthy sexuality. He talks about the various stages and how to have those conversations. Look him up. It's on Homeward. Excellent, excellent resource. We'll be kind of pulling that out and, and, and showing you guys that over the next few weeks so you can, can see kind of that book. Um, and so I want you guys to have that conversation. But also the best guide is the Bible. Proverbs chapter 7 is probably one of those great places that you can always go to begin this conversation as your child reaches near that teen or tween years. And Proverbs 7 is really just the Bible's um, explanation of a, of a dad having this conversation. And I won't go through all the details of this text, but it's pretty interesting as you dive into it. Go home and read Proverbs 7. It's Solomon speaking to his sons, which is ironic, but Solomon talking to his sons about the dangers 
of, of this kind of wayward sexuality. And in this case, it's personified as a prostitute, but in our case, you can see the connection to pornography very easily. He says, my son, keep, keep my words, treasure my commands with you, keep my commandments and live. I want you to have this locked into your heart. Don't forget this stuff. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Bring her near to you. Have wisdom in your life. That's how he starts. I'm deadly serious about this. Verse 6, for at the window of my house, I've looked out, and through my lattice, I have seen among the simple, and I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Underline that. This is a dum-dum. This is a boy lacking sense. And what does he do? What's a boy lacking sense look like? Well, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. He's doing this intentionally, walking down the wrong path at the wrong time, sitting in the wrong room with the technology, being in the wrong place, taking in the wrong things, Guys, we need to warn our kids there are wrong times or wrong places for this stuff. These are what the guardrail is about. He's very clear. And he's like, look, this guy's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And behold, the woman meets him. Dressed as a prostitute, wily in heart. She's loud and wayward. She's, and notice the same methodology of exploitation. She, she woos him, talks about how wonderful. She's been waiting for him. She wants him to come in. And look, I, I've offered sacrifices. I am clean. This is all good. I've got everything set out. Oh, it's going to be so good. Tempting and wooing and guiding and leading. Oh, and what about the consequences? Oh, don't worry about those. My husband's gone. <laughs> this is, you're opening clear, free from all consequences. That's the lie. That we don't want our children, hey, look, you're going to think there are no consequences. They're going to buy in. You see, Satan doesn't tempt us with things that we know are stupid. He doesn't tempt you with something he knows you're going to say no to. He tempts you with the things that he knows he can just hook you with. And maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, maybe there's something about this that I'm not seeing. And so with much seductive speech... She persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag caught fast in the, until an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. You may avoid the consequences at the beginning, but they always, always, always catch up. They catch up in our souls. They catch up in our lives. They catch up in our marriages. They catch up with our friends, whether you're single, whether you're, uh, whether you're married, widowed, divorced, or child, they catch up. Notice how much they catch up. He says, let not your heart turn aside to her ways, verse 25, do not stray from her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and her slain are a mighty throng. Sure, we can tell ourselves, hey, it won't happen to me, but there's so much statistical evidence to say you're lying to yourself. Yes, it will. And we teach our children, you think you can avoid the consequences. We really can't. And we guide them and lead them through this talk. We train them and talk to them about these situations. We tell them about these things, and we guide them and lead them through this, these situations. Now, the reason I say that is, yes, we want to tie them fast. We want to stop theories. We want to guide them. But we also want to provide them a greater story. It's one thing to simply lock them away, but what we really need to do and what we really want to do is pray and aim them at a greater vision, the greatest vision, 
the vision that God has for our children's life. See, it's not so much a focus on the problem. We want to focus on what God has for them. We want to give them such a vision, such a calling, such a drive in their souls that this kind of stuff seems small and significant and frustrating because it's keeping them from what God has for them to do. Now, that's the positive turn in what I want to talk about. You see, how many of you ever been to Tucumcari? Anybody been here to Tucumcari, New Mexico? A couple of you. You, most, if you've ever driven, on the, uh, driven out there on the 40, you've been to Tucumcari, you just don't remember because you passed right through it. Now, me and my family, we've been to Tucumcari. Our, our car broke down halfway between Tucumcari and Santa Rosa, and so we were drugged back to Tucumcari and spent the night there. We found out that Tucumcari, New Mexico, has the highest out-of-wedlock ratio of, of, of teenagers in the United States. Why? Because there's nothing to do in Tucumcari. No, there is. There's sports teams, and there's high schools, and there's stuff to do in Tucumcari. Actually, what it is is they have no vision for life. You ask them, and you talk to them, and the drug abuse, and the sex, and the different things is leading them that way, because what are they there for? What's there to do in a small town? Why do I live? What's my purpose? Isn't being answered. See, it's not so much that we just tie them up, or we guide them away. We have to give them the song that overwhelms their ears. We have to give them the music that captures their souls. And God has given us this music. He's given it to us in the text. We cannot parent in fear. Please do not parent thinking you can form a bubble around your children. When Jesus was sleeping on the, in the storm and all the disciples were freaking out they were going to die because they were out on the boat, Jesus wakes up and he says these words to him, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. Yes, there's a storm with pornography around our children. Yes, there's dangers all about. But if Jesus Christ is sitting in the boat of your parenting, you don't need to fear. You need to wait on him as he calms that wave and points them to the greater purpose. God is greater than this issue. God is more powerful to lead us into the truth and lead our children to the truth. And so we may think we can form a bubble, lock them away and put them in the room and slide food to them until they're 52, but it ain't going to work. Even the greatest people who have done their best to protect their children have found at least a child who is struggling with this. And I think it just broke my heart when I heard about the Duggars. You know, they tried so well and so hard to do it in a way that looked, that looked so compelling, and yet their oldest was struggling. And it found him. Bubbles are myths. What we want to do is we want to point them to a great vision to where those events are lesser in their life. See, we want to engage them in the world. We want to push them into that culture and make them change agents of the culture. Jesus said of his disciples, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We have at first our boundaries, we, and then we guide them. We lift those guardrails, and we point them to a greater future and a greater vision. We say, you need to be in this world and navigate this world. You need to be wise and wily about it, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Get out there and make a difference in this world. That's what I want for my kids. I don't want them to just be part of the culture. Dead fish float downstream. I want my children to be living, powerful beings who are making culture and shaping it because they understand God is working in them. He's given them a calling. He's, pull, he's made them for a purpose at this time, for this day, to be now. And we need to give them that and let them capture that vision for who God has made them to be. Then the song is beautiful. You see, 
We have this opportunity. It's very simple. You just talk about it all the time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. We say this at our child dedications, and this is why. The Lord, Moses is speaking to the nation. His grandchildren are sitting there. All of these people are there. And he says, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is supreme. You shall love the Lord with your heart, with your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today, you put them on your heart. All of them, all of the laws that I've given you, all the sexual laws, all the, all the food laws, all the stuff, I want it on your heart. Why? Because I want you to love the Lord with everything in you. That was his point. And he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house at the dinner table, watching television, playing a video game, playing a board game, having a conversation. When you walk by the way, when you're driving in the car, when you're on your way to to church on a trek and something pulls up next to you with some sticker on the back of the car and the kids are like, what is that? And you're like, okay, time to have a conversation. When you're watching the Super Bowl and you didn't manage to flip past the wrong inappropriate commercial, uh, what was that? Uh, this is, and you have the conversation. When you lie down, when they're going to bed, how'd your day go? What's been going on? I want to talk to you about the Lord. What's the Lord doing with you? How is this going? You talk about how the protections, you talk about the guidance, but then you also say, well, what does the Lord, do you think the Lord's trying to do with you? Where do you think he's taking you? What is he doing? When you rise in the morning, what, what does the Lord put on your heart for the day? What do you want to do? This is the kind of thing we want to paint into our children's lives. And when they rise up, they rise up knowing the Lord has got something for me today. When they lie down, they realize I may not have done everything perfectly, but Jesus is my, is my Savior and he's blessed me and covered me from my sins. I have a new start tomorrow. Guys, this is the vision we talk about daily and we want them to engage and connect with all the different cultural things. So I want to advise that you pick this book up. If you have any children in your life, this is a great book by John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel. It's called A Practical Guide to Culture written for parents to help guide students and children through the cultural issues of our time period. And it has a lot of them in here. But it gives you a sense of what culture is about. It gives you a sense of how to deal with this because we want to teach our children how to love the Lord in every cultural setting and situation. Because we want them to engage and make a difference, not to hide. We have to eventually lift the guardrails. We have to eventually let our guidance work its way. Train up your child in the way they will go, and in the end they will not depart. So let's give them the great vision. Let's teach them about our God who is satisfying. Notice what Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right living. Who long for this? They want it. Why? Because they will be satisfied. God is ready to satisfy our children. He's ready to satisfy their longings to do something for the Lord. He is ready to help them live for Jesus Christ and allow that giftedness in them to launch them forward into what God has for them to do. And we need to pour that into them. We need to teach them the theology and the knowledge of who God is. We need to teach them how to defend the word of God and who he is. And we need to guide them into what God's called them to do, to see how to pray, to see how to serve, to see these things, to live it out, and then get out of their way. Let him go on that mission trip. Let him engage in that ministry. Let them lead that Bible study. You may think they're crazy if they want to start a band or whatever. Let them do it. Because you don't know God is guiding them and lead them. Let them take a risk on the great God who wants them to have faith in him. They're not to have faith in you. They're to have faith in the Lord. Let's let him be their father. 
We've got the guardrails down. We're going to keep it extended as far as we can, but we're going to give them guidance from the Word of the Lord and let them engage it and watch as God meets them and satisfies them and enables their artistic or their intellectual or their practical pursuits explode as they give it to the Lord. And let's celebrate with them as the Lord uses them. No, no, they don't have to be a statistic. They can be a change agent. We have everything we need to turn the tide and make a difference with a generation. All of these truths I hope you see are true for you too. To capture that same vision, the same direction, that same reality. We don't have to be drowned by the world and it's what, it, what it gives to us in this possession. No, we have a great God who's redeemed us through Jesus Christ, given us good works to walk in. Let's go live them out and walk in them. Amen? Let's train our children to do the same. Would you pray with me? Father, I do ask that you would help us as parents, help us as grandparents, uncles, aunts, those who have children in our lives. God, help us to rightly put up the guardrails that we would not be those who, who unintentionally cause temptation. God, help us to be those who are taking this seriously and we guide our children. Help us to train them up in your ways that they would not depart from them. And ultimately, God, let us show them the great vision and help us to empower them to live out the vision you have for them. For it is in this, God, we know that the, the ridiculous smallness and disgusting nature of this material will not capture our children's hearts because you will have captured them so greatly. And God, I pray that you would be greater. Be greater for all of us. Oh, capture us with your song. That you would be the one that we sail our lives by and sail past the dangers. Oh, empower us, we ask, and we beg of you in Jesus' name. Amen.